people want to do good in the world and it takes money to do these things like these hospitals that you're talking about and the oxygen and the programs and the serving that takes a lot of money and it takes funding to do that and so if we can look at it as we are giving people an opportunity to serve in a way that maybe they can't they can't be on the front lines doing the work in the hospitals. They're not trained, they can't travel, they can't be in those locations, whatever, but they want to make a difference on those causes. And so we are being the connector for them to help those causes that they care about. Hey friends, welcome back. One of my favorite things to do in this work that I do is strategy calls, whether it's with grant writers or nonprofits. I love helping them think through their next steps and the strategy of that, but then also backing up and just boiling it down to, okay, what are your next couple of action steps that you're going to do in the next few days? So that is what I'm doing on today's episode. Now, if you have not watched my TEDx talk, you might want to go do that because that will give some context for some of the things we're talking about today. And please help me share that. Let's spread the word. Let's educate nonprofits about how they can truly build a better ROI around grant writing. Today's guest had reached out because she is interested in grant writing. She has a great background, which she'll share with us. And she and her husband are doing some really incredible work internationally. They have really felt called to Africa and to help the communities there. He is a doctor and they're both very involved in the hospitals and just becoming immersed in the culture and helping and seeing the needs. And I love her heart for serving and for what she's wanting to do through the power of grant writing. So we talked through some different ideas. She has some great questions, some super practical things of how does she get started, how to approach potential nonprofits, how to know if they have what it takes to handle grants. And so these are important questions that we need to sit down and ask ourselves and look at objectively and not with rose-colored glasses as we're going into a situation. We can't necessarily force a potential nonprofit or a client to do something that they themselves are not ready to step up and do. So I'm really glad that Sylvia got into some of these questions, and she's thinking very deeply and strategically. So I'm excited for her and I'm excited for you to hear this conversation because a lot of you come to me with some of these same questions. How do I start? How do I know if I'm grant ready? How do I get past the fear of writing that first application and not knowing if I'm going to get it or not? Let me tell you, (laughs) that is perfectly normal. We all go through that. And, you know, speaking of that, I am doing some new things this year too that are exciting and a big stretch for me. And I mean, just last year, I did the TEDx talk. Oh my goodness, (laughs) I never thought I would do that. Starting the podcast was huge two years ago. So, you know, it's all about stretching, continuing to improve and making ourselves better, right? So that we can serve better and help others fulfill their missions. So whatever it is you're working through, I hope today's conversation helps you and gives you some ideas and inspiration of how to move forward. Reach out if I can ever help. But in the meantime, check out this conversation and here we go. 
Sylvia, welcome to the show. Before we get started, say your name for us so that we can hear it pronounced correctly, because I know with my Midwest accent, <laughs> I'm messing it up completely. Okay, it's not a problem at all, but in Italy, we would we pronounce it Sylvia. Okay, that's a beautiful name. And welcome. It's so good to have you. And I'm really excited to dig in today because I know you have some deep vision and plans for how you can help nonprofits and a really interesting background and work that you're doing as far as your travels and your work with your husband. So let's get started. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be chatting with you tonight. Yeah. So tell us just a little quick recap of what you had shared with me beforehand in your form about the work you're doing and your deeper reason for wanting to get into grant writing, because I think that's just really compelling. And it comes back to having that important core why. Um, So I have lived abroad for many years. So I moved abroad from Italy the first time when I was 18, Uh, grew up just with my family having an interest in international work. My first international volunteering experience was at 14 years old. So um, I kind of grew up with it. And then I studied Chinese in university, moved to China, um, volunteered in Hong Kong. I lived in uh, Hong Kong and China for, for a number of years and eventually met my husband uh, while I was working in Hong Kong. He is a Colombian-born American. And we realized that we shared an interest for um, international work. And he eventually decided to go into medicine, always with the idea of doing um, working in a medical mission eventually. And that was something that I had also been uh, considering, not the medical side of things, but I was planning on, you know, I wasn't thinking about getting married or having kids and I was uh, working hard in Hong Kong and I was planning on working for a few more years and then um, uh, go off and work for a nonprofit somewhere. Um, so met my husband, we you know, eventually got married and kind of worked through um medical school, residency, and then we came to the point where residency was done with residency. We had two little boys uh, at that point. This is just a few months ago. And uh, we decided uh, that he was going to pursue a global health fellowship. And so with the fellowship, we had the opportunity to um, travel to Africa for a total of about um, seven months this year, and we're going to be in uh, three countries. So we started in Ethiopia for two months. Uh, we're now in Kenya for another two months, and we are moving on to Uganda uh, soon. So he is working at um, two mission hospitals and one state-run hospital in Uganda. And uh, um, we came with the idea of preparing for long-term work in in Africa. So I had never been to Africa before. My husband had, he had volunteered in Togo before, just loved to be here. He's very, um, he just feels a connection with the culture, with the music. And so he's very interested in working in Africa. And I was, you know, very happy to give it a try. And so we came and it's be, it has been just an incredible learning experience for all of us. And uh, in my professional experience in mostly in China and Hong Kong, and then uh, also in the US has been in uh, recruitment and human resources. Um, 
But since um, kind of having my children and after my second child, I stopped working, I developed, I started developing an interest in um, agriculture, especially on, in, on regen- regenerative agriculture. And uh, once I came to Africa, I really made an effort to go out and meet people that work in NGOs. And there is so much happening in the NGO uh, sphere here. And so I met, I did meet organizations that work in the agricultural sector. And it just can become so obvious of how agriculture, farming is part of life here for everybody, and how it is <clears throat> um, just a fundamental part of people's livelihoods. And so it kind of connects with everything else that people do in this part of the world. And that was very it was fascinating for me and just gave me um, a lot of food for thought. And I just became more and more interested in the work of all of these different organizations. And I understood how agriculture um, relates to nutrition and to, of course, livelihoods and environmental protection, um, which is um, very important in very practical ways um and i may come back to this uh later talking about some of the hospitals that we visited um so i ended up you know contacting people visiting different organizations and then the first um the first one of the first organizations that we met is um is from is is uh, run by the cabrinian sisters which is an in order catholic nuns who have a beautiful project in a rural area in southern Ethiopia where um, there is a pocket of malnutrition. So it's a very poor area um, and they there's an hospital nearby and they have they, they just saw so many malnourished children coming to the hospital and they would be treated, they would get better and then they would go home. And in a few months, they will come back and they will be malnourished again. And so the sisters started this program where um, it's a residential program. The children come and stay for a few months after having been stabilized at the hospital. And while the children are there, the mothers also um, stay there and learn life skills and business skills. And the sisters help them open a bank account and uh, learn how to start saving and uh, they let them use some of the mission land to farm and then they buy some of their produce <clears throat> to uh to cook for the schools and for the hospital and and so since they started this program they have seen how um families have been able to start supporting themselves you know in some cases they give them a you know sort of like a a small starting capital to start a small business, you know, selling eggs, selling bananas, just a small business that can get the family out of, you know, extreme poverty. And the children are not coming back malnourished uh, like they were before. And so that was so, I was so touched and so impressed. And I asked the sister, what are your biggest needs right now? And just like I saw her, the the look on her face of like grave concern. And what she told me was, if we had more money, we could just help more families. 
And so that just like really, I just like, it, it touched me so deeply. And I was like, I want to get money for this, for this system so that they can continue to do their work. And then I learned that they are, you know, they um, being a registered NGO in, in Ethiopia, they have, they work through the government, they have present, to present plans and they are way under budget compared to what they were hoping to be able to do. Uh, you know, with COVID, some of the, you know, funding from Italy have dried up. And so um, they were very much based on, I believe, very much based on um, individual donations or, you know, kind of like smaller donations coming from a number of different sources. And I just thought there must be grants out there for this kind of work. And that it was something that I had never at all crossed my mind or considered before. But since then, I was just, wow, this is this is a thing that I could do. And I know I write well. I, you know, I have, I believe, you know, I, I probably have the skills to do this. And this could, you know, could really make a difference. And then kind of through that lens, I started noticing things um, and um, comparing organizations that have the ability of receiving of applying and receiving grants compared to other organizations that don't um and i don't know if you would like me to stop here for a second or going straight into my um into my comparison between the two hospitals that i mentioned to you before um but it is you know i just i just uh, realized this has a lot of potential mm-hmm. and so an i decided adventure. i was going to pursue it Yes, what an adventure and what an incredible way to really get in and see firsthand the need and also the impact and the program that's in place. And I really want to point that out because a lot of people come to me wanting to know how to get grants for an idea or for something that they're thinking about starting or they're maybe just in the early stages of forming and it could work, but they don't have any money yet. So let's get a grant for it. So I just want to point out that you are looking at a program that's already in place. It's already making an impact. It's already seeing results and helping people. And basically in the business world, we'd say it's proof of concept. It's proof that the program is working but there's a huge need to expand it. So that's an ideal situation to start looking at grants, looking at, okay, they have this program, it's working, it's helping people, they have the model set up and established. So how can we help them expand it? And I just wanna point that out, that that really is a good place to be. And also the other piece is you said, what is your biggest need? And then you listened to what they said. (laughs) You didn't just go in and try to start pointing things out and telling them you asked those open questions and you let them share and you listened. And sometimes that is our first step that we need to take. People come to me saying, where do I start? How do I do this? Sometimes it's a matter of asking questions and listening. So first of all, I think you're absolutely on the right track and you're looking for the right things. So well done on that piece. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so it, the, it may not be totally applicable in this case, but I'm sure there, I mean, partly to this, you know, in this case or other organizations that I've seen, 
if I come as an outsider, I haven't worked for the organization. I haven't necessarily seen, or I may not have the chance to like spend a lot, you know, an entire week with them to see how they do things. I, how do I know that they are doing things efficiently and that they are ready to ask for a grant if I have no real way of assessing how they do things like day to day and how they use their funds? Mm-hmm. What would be your Our- suggestions? Yeah, I would say first building that relationship, like you've talked about, is important as opposed to just going in and trying to push yourself and sell yourself of, hey, buy my grant writing services. But first go in and get to know them and let them get to know you and realize, okay, she truly has a heart for helping us and she cares about our mission. And probably they are so busy working on the mission itself and in those front lines of service that they don't have a lot of time to think about how can we apply for these grants and spend time on all this research and paperwork. And they probably don't have the expertise to know where to look or how to go about it. Mm -hmm. So in that case, they probably would welcome having an expert come in to help them. Even just if you know a little bit more than them, you're more of an expert than they are. And so having that in place would probably be helpful if you have at all the chance to visit on site at least once, which it sounds like you have in some of these cases, but getting to know them in person, walking through firsthand to see for yourself will really help you convey the story in a much more powerful way and be able to really highlight or pinpoint some of the struggles, challenges, things going well that they might not think to tell you or that they might not even realize is unusual mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. that is a struggle. So have you been to this hospital that you've referenced yourself? Yes, I have. Mm-hmm. So okay. so this is actually a good example. So um, uh, we were we were living at and my husband was working at Soda Christian Hospital, which is a wonderful, wonderful hospital uh, run by an American um, organization. I believe it's it's called the St. Luke Foundation. And um, they do they do amazing work. They have a number of um, American doctors that uh, not only, you know, treat patients, but also work very hard on training the local doctors. And so they are really developing very strong local doctors. Um, And this hospital is very well run and has the ability to apply for grants and they regularly get grants and they, they also, you know, they are able to get large grants and they are growing uh, their services and their ability to, you know, to, to serve uh, the, the population in, in, uh, in the area. And then there is this other mission hospital about an hour away who is almost, it's, it's the total opposite. Um, it started, uh, it's, it's not the old hospital. So it, it has, you know, it started off maybe about, about 20 years ago um, started off well, had uh, some substantial funding from Italy, from some certain organizations in Italy, and then 
I, you know, I don't know what happened. There were, you know, some issues and uh, some of the funding stopped from Italy. And so the hospital is in, is in difficult position right now. And uh, um, they, I'm sure also, you know, are busy taking care of patients and don't have the ability to, don't have a person um, that could be in charge of just spending their time on writing grants and just don't, I don't believe they have the, the, the capacity of doing that right now. And for example, their oxygen plant, which they were the first hospital in the area to have an oxygen plant has been broken for two years. And so uh-huh. they, you know, and they have, they have a neonatal unit that they have, you know, like uh, newborns that need oxygen. They have malaria patients. They have, you know, it's, it is life-saving. They need, mm-hmm. they need the oxygen and, you know, getting it from elsewhere is an incredible feat. They don't, you know, there isn't even a paved road that goes to the hospital. It's, you know, it's, it's dirt road. So, um, it's, you know, and, and the same thing, like I was thinking, wow, like these guys just need, there must be grants out there for something like this, you know, to fix, you know, to, to replace an oxygen plant for, for a hospital. And, but then, um, you know, we, we had the short visit, we talked to the people, but then through knowing, um, you know, of, from, from getting to know other people, you start hearing comments about, some management issues and, you know, uh, some potential corruption and all of these, you know, things that you don't know if they're true, but they are very concerning. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, my, this, I, where, and I get into really find, you know, how do you really find out um, what is happening and how would they manage the money that they get? And is it my responsibility to say, well, if you get the grant, but you don't use it completely in the way you should, if there is some some money wasting, um, should that stop me from trying to help and, and help them apply or or not? You know, these are kind of, and I'm not even mm-hmm. thinking about being paid right now. I'm thinking, you know, if I was work, you know, if I was, was trying to help as a volunteer, these are questions that I can't quite wrap my head around. Mm-hmm. Do you have yeah, an opinion? Those are tough. Yeah, that's tough because part of helping a nonprofit to be successful with grants is making sure they're ready for grants, which meaning like from my TEDx talk, I talked about, is it relevant? Is there a need? Do you have the research and statistics to back it up? And have you found a funder looking to fulfill that type of need in the community? So finding that relevant match between those things and that intersection, is it optimized? Meaning are their operations running smoothly? Are they managing money well? Do they have their internal processes in place so that they do have that capacity for grants? And then third, are they interacting and building relationships that are authentic and helpful and collaborating with others in the community doing similar work? And so those Mm -hmm. three things really need to be in place to get the true return and set up for success with grants. So with what you're saying, that is a tough situation because on the one hand, you see this huge need. They are doing the services and have that track record of we're serving people. We're doing the best we can. Funding is tight. We have this broken machine. 
we can do so much more if we had a new machine or had this fixed. On the other hand, if there's questions and cloudiness around their credibility and can they manage these funds well, that's going to raise an eyebrow and that's going to be a red flag for funders. And that's a big one. Mm -hmm. So that probably sounds like it would take some more detective work on your part and some homework to figure out, are there people within the organization that are trustworthy and have integrity and are managing the place with credibility? Or is it just Mm -hmm. too much doubt around this is not a good investment? Because just like with a business, when an investor is looking at, should I invest money in this business to get a return? Grant makers are the same way. Should we invest in this nonprofit? Can they handle the money well? Is it going to maximize the impact of the funding? To be able to get that return on impact instead of investment and the trust really comes in as a big piece there. So I would I would do some more homework on that if you are able to. And if it sounds like the first one you mentioned, the one where it's malnutrition and they've created the residential program, that's the one that it sounds like it's pretty stable and credible, yes. correct? I okay. think so, yes. Mm-hmm. So it's the other one with the oxygen plant that's broken that we're not sure about their operations and financial management, right? So we've got yes, two separate. Correct. Okay. Yes, that's two separate entities, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then for your part, you could go a couple of ways. I would recommend starting with the one that's more credible, the the one that has the program in place, the residential program, and the moms are staying with them, learning the skills and creating this business ecosystem for a couple of reasons. One, you've got the program in place and running and definitely a need to expand it, but you've got proof that it's working. Also, you've got several opportunities there for different types of funding. Like you could research grants for this residential program for kids and nourishment and better education around how to be healthy, how to eat well, providing Mm -hmm. food. Also, you could go more of the economic route or teaching these life skills and business and entrepreneurship to the parents. Also, you mentioned the agriculture and even just the economy that that is impacting. So really there are several different categories of grants there that you could possibly research, which opens up more possibilities for funding as opposed to if it were just one area, you've got several ways you could go. So if you feel like they are managing their money well and have a good reputation in the community and the program is going well, then that might be the one I would start with. And that way you also can start building a relationship with them, start exploring opportunities, building a track record there of potential grants, because again, they probably don't have the time or expertise to really focus on pursuing the grant funding like they could. If you can bring that piece to it, then that could really help them. And then that also can help build your experience and skills as a grant writer and knowing how to develop those. And then as far as you also mentioned, how do you come in as the outsider to know that they're grant ready and to know that they have what they need without spending a week on site? 
I have always worked, I always, I say almost always worked remotely with clients or at least not on site. I have never worked in their office. I have gone to visit for a couple hours at a time. I've gone and made site visits or met with them separately. Even now, the last couple of years, only virtually with some clients. And it still works, but there are certain key pieces that I look for. And I can link to some past episodes where I've talked about this. And I have a download about this of certain things to look for for grant readiness And that would help you know, going in, what to ask for, what kinds of information to gather. And then you can start to evaluate, okay, how grant ready are they? What's missing? And how can we make sure they have those pieces in place? For example, do they have all their paperwork in order? You said they are a registered NGO. So assuming that they have all those documents gathered and organized and everything on hand, they don't have to go hunt it down. Are their finances in order? Is their budget kept and well tracked and organized? Or do they need some help getting that cleaned up? Mm. Do they have a good solid board and management team? Or do they just have three or four board members that aren't very involved? If that's the case, they probably need to work on growing that core leadership. So things like that, that you can come in and start to look at and recommend. And then at the same time, you can be talking with them and working with them to identify what are your biggest needs. And then you can research what funding opportunities are out there that match up with those needs, not to twist things out of shape, but to look for the ones that are really wanting to do that type of work in the communities and in that geographic area and then finding those matches and you can go from there right yeah i guess there's so many steps uh involved you know we've been here it's uh first of all i need to learn what the different what the rules for ngos are in different countries in the country i'm looking at what i mean like that they have a board what does it look like and really um i guess get my head around all of these different things. And, you know, one of my other questions for you in a way is how do you get over the fear of the first time that you're going through this process and that feeling that you're never going to know enough to just go ahead and, you know, and tell them I can do this for you. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's a big question for me. <laughs> Yeah, there, I mean, that is so common. And I will tell you, there are still projects where I feel like I don't know enough for this. I'm not an expert enough. And I've done it for almost 20 years. (laughs) So that is common, but it's important to take the first step and to be learning, like you said, which it sounds like to me, you are willing to learn and dig in and figure out the ins and outs. So in your case, I would maybe pick one of these areas and one of these locations to start. Like, say you Mm -hmm. picked this hospital that you said is in rural Ethiopia, maybe start just there. Don't try to learn all three countries or four or five countries at once. Just figure out, okay, for this location in Ethiopia, what are the requirements here? What are the opportunities available? What kind of funding are they getting? How do we go about navigating that? So just focus on one area instead of trying to learn all the places. And maybe you'd prefer to learn the area where you're gonna be living next. 
so that you yeah. can mm-hmm. start to build a local relationship. But whatever it is, I would pick your one spot to start. And you're looking at this as a learning opportunity and a learning process. You don't have to start as the expert. You don't have to go into it knowing everything. And especially because you're willing to volunteer and you are wanting to help them, you have such a heart to serve, which I think is a beautiful thing. And if you have the time and resources available to do that, you can approach them that way and approach them with that and say, I know you have these needs. I want to help. Tell me, you know, like you asked that question, tell me your biggest need. What is it that you need help with the most? How can, what kind of resource would be the most useful to you? How would you use the money if you had a big donation come in? So questions like that, you're learning about them. Mm -hmm. And then that will help you craft your next steps to figure out how to go forward. And then if you, you know, over time, you're building this relationship with them and talking to them about the grants and the opportunities out there, you can just be very upfront with them and say, I love this work. I have good experience in HR, recruitment organizations. I'm a good writer. I want to help you with grants. This is new to me, so I'm learning. But if you're willing to work together, I want to learn and I want to help you. And they understand that. I mean, I think it would be a no-brainer for them. And I like to start with more smaller, simple foundation grants, especially if you're new as opposed to big government grants. I don't know how the African government grants would work, but I know here in the U.S., the federal grants are pretty intense. The paperwork, the research, the requirements, yeah. mm-hmm. it's its intense. The foundation grants are typically much, much more simple. So if uh-huh. you started with something like that, you're starting with a much easier process, but it allows you to learn the process and to learn how it works, the steps, the different requirements, how to put the application together, how to write it in a way that is effective and compelling. And it gives you a chance to practice and build your muscles. When the stakes are lower, your time requirement is lower And it's going to feel kind of clunky at first. It may feel awkward and reading through, but if you just follow the guidelines, they'll tell you exactly what they want, exactly what you need to do. And if it says, you know, this needs to be less than 500 words, you keep it to that. If it says we want to see this and this and this in your budget, or we want this paperwork, you follow everything they say and just follow the directions exactly. Answer their questions thoroughly read it back through and make sure you've answered every question. But you're looking at those first few grants as a learning opportunity. And you're approaching the nonprofit that way of, I want to learn this. I want to be able to help you by doing this. Will you let me work with you so that I can learn and have the opportunity to practice and try to help you get more funding? And I would just, you know, own it. Own that you're a good writer. This piece of your writing is new to you. And it's a skill set you really want to expand so we can help nonprofits like you get the funding you need and position it so that it's a no-brainer. Like, yeah, of course we need help with that. If you're new, everybody's got to start somewhere. So, yeah, we'd love the help. I would think they would jump at that. Generally speaking, how um, labor-intensive is it 
on the part of the leadership of the NGO um, or, you know, the, the one person that is going to work with you in the NGO? That's a good question. It depends on the project. Again, government grants are going to be a lot more intense. Your first mm-hmm. few grants may be a little more because you're going to need a lot of information from them. You can't just make right. it up. You have to talk with them to find out what are your numbers like. Tell me about your program. Walk me through the steps. Or I'd like to come have a tour of your facility and hear about your work firsthand. So the first few, you're going to be doing a lot of information gathering that ideally you'll be able to reuse that on future applications. But at first it is more intensive and you're going to need responses from them pretty quickly, especially if there's a deadline. But once you have Mm -hmm. some of that initial collected there, then it won't take quite as much from them in future applications usually. However, if the funds are awarded, then the implementation is going to be really important. They're going to need to understand what are the goals and objectives that we are expected to track, and they need to be tracking that information and that data along the way. What is the budget and how is it supposed to be used? And they need to track how they're spending it and making sure they're doing it according to the application. And so especially on your first few, I would try to make sure you're designing the project in a way that it fits well with what they're doing so that it's not a huge lift on top of their current work. It can just be a nice extension to help expand it naturally. Like your hospital program with the kids that you mentioned, if you were to all of a sudden get a grant to add a school, that's going to be a huge lift. (laughs) They're going to have to find a building and teachers and curriculum and furniture and all the things to make a school run. So that would be a big undertaking on top of they're probably already overloaded. But if you had a grant for that program and you were able to, say, provide clothing along with the food, then they are already feeding the kids well. But this clothing would be a natural extension because it fits with what they're doing. It just enhances already and doesn't require a whole different set of programming. It just expands the work they're doing right now. Right. I guess I guess an important part um, that would have to be discussed beforehand is not only, okay, let's get all the documents in place. So let me understand how you do things now. But really, if you get the money, do you have, how are you going to use it? And do you have the time to manage and to fulfill the reporting requirements and, yes. and all of that side of things? Um, right. Right. Yes, that's yes, important I, to ask okay. them up front. And it's also important to clarify up front. Will they handle it once the grant's awarded? Or will you be a part of monitoring the timelines, sending reminders, saying, hey, we have a report due next month on the 15th. Can we start right. gathering the information? And then are you going to help write the report if they send you, say, the attendance count, the impact they're making, the updated numbers and stories, testimonials, the difference it's making? If they send it to you, are you putting together the report? So I would clarify that up front as well just partly for your own purposes of, okay, where does my job end and their responsibility begins versus do you want to be involved in the full process? 
Right, right. Mm-hmm. So again, the smaller grants won't have as much requirement on that end as the larger government grants. And it also depends. Like I have one client that if we get equipment for exercise classes or for teachers to add new classes, that's different than if we just get equipment for, say, a new freezer for their food. I mean, the freezer, it's just a matter of we buy it, install it, we're good to go. The classes, that's more of we need to track attendance, we need to find teachers, we need to talk to the people and get their feedback. Are they feeling better? Are they exercising more? Those types of things. So it's a little more involved of a program. So it also depends on the type of program. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another important question uh, at least I think it's important um, for me to understand how, so I am thinking um, there probably is more uh, opportunity for funding coming from the U S compared to, you know, other countries and, and, you know, never mind, you know, not only, let's not even talking about within Ethiopia where there's a war going on. So there's, I'm sure there's very little funding within Ethiopia. So we're looking at, you know, foreign funding. Um, how important is it for the NGO to have a solid and sleek online presence? Mm, that's a good question. Do they have an online presence right now? Well, right now, my understanding is that they are migrating websites. So there is, right at this moment, there is no website that I could, but that was just like a, it was kind of like a side like a mention in one of the websites of the congregation mentioned about uh, this program, but they do not for sure have any kind of significant online presence. Okay. In that Hopefully case, they will soon. <laughs> sure. And if it's, it, say, let's assume they don't have one at all. I yeah. mean, in this day and age, it's becoming more and more important just because people do go and look them up on a website. Of if course. they are... Yeah, if they're in between, though, like in what you're saying, or if they just don't have one, if someone, you know, is listening that doesn't have a site yet, I would say, could you at least get up a one page, sort of like a brochure landing page, or could you create either a LinkedIn or Facebook business page just to populate and have some information, some contact to serve as a website for now? until you get one in place. That would be a much quicker thing that a volunteer could handle as opposed to trying to build an entire website with five or 10 pages and links and all the extra things that go along with that. Mm, Is there something simple to at least give a credible presence, contact information, pictures, stories, examples of what's happening, just to share about the work and to establish more credibility? All right. Okay. So if you had to pick one, LinkedIn or Facebook? Depends on your audience and depends on who your target is for who you want to convey it to and who you're trying to reach. For example, if you are trying to reach more of the business community, LinkedIn. If you're trying to reach more of the clients you're serving or families or maybe stay-at-home moms or something like that, probably Facebook. So, mm-hmm. you know, it depends, or you could do a simple page of each and have, right. you know, a lot mm-hmm. of duplicate information and links and photos, but at least then have that available. Right. Okay. Thank you. 
So, These are great questions. Yeah, I'm, and you're thinking uh, through really well. <laughs> I I mean this is this is scary and it's exciting and um I just hope that I have the courage to go ahead and do these things. Whether it's going to be with this yes. particular organization, whether it's going to be, you know, I'm thinking we are going, you know, we are right now looking for the hospitals where we are going to be based at. And I am, uh, you know, I, I know I, from, ex, from my experience now, I know that once we find the place where we want to be, I will find things for me to do, you know, like whether it's it's, it's an established NGO, whether it's through um, programs that the hospital has, and that, that could be my place that I will start writing grant, you know, grant applications for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, part of that, you know, understanding and getting to know them and uh, see how things, you know, if things are done properly will be will be easier. But, um, you know, it's kind of like a new world that opened up to me. But uh, I just wanted to share another really touching example of how grants make make a difference so there is uh, at southern christian hospital there is a wonderful american doctor her name is uh, michelle yates and she has um become uh, the de facto neonatologist at the at southern christian hospital though she's a family uh, family trained uh, doctor and she is extremely smart extremely hardworking, and um has helped um, the other hospital that I was talking about that is about an hour away to create their own neonatal unit. And she has she has personally trained the staff there. And she was taking her staff, she's wanted to take her staff to a neonatology conference in Tanzania, which, you know, involves flights and visas and, you know, and expenses for the stay. And she applied for a grant from, you know, from a foundation that they work regularly with. And she got the grant, so she was able to take her own staff. And then, you know, like being able to, you know, to to, to have this, this funding to take her staff, she was able to then go get some extra donations or, you know, I don't know, maybe her own money to take one person from the other hospital and invite them to come to the same conference. And so, you know, additionally, the extra layer, adding the extra layer of training for this, um, this hospital that is so much, you know, lacking of of funding compared to, to Southern Christian hospital. So it's just like, it's such a beautiful world out there of things that happen once the funding Mm -hmm. is there. And, you know, I guess yeah. I, you know, I never had an interest in money. I always felt very awkward about fundraising, et cetera. But uh, I feel a lot more strongly about this idea of, of grants. In a way, it's slightly less personal. You know, I don't have to go out and ask my friends for money. <laughs> but I can right. I can go through a process and... Um, and maybe really, really help in a significant way. So it is It mm-hmm. is very exciting. You know, you bring up an interesting point there that maybe would be a good podcast topic sometime about money and our thoughts around money and asking for money sometimes can feel awkward. But if we reframe that, and if we think of it as people want to do good in the world, and it takes money to do these things, like these hospitals that you're talking about and the oxygen and the programs and the serving, that takes a lot of money and it takes funding to do that. And so if we can look at it as we are giving people an opportunity to serve in a way that maybe they can't, 
They can't be on the front lines doing the work in the hospitals. They're not trained. They can't travel. They can't be in those locations, whatever, but they want to make a difference on those causes. And so we are being the connector for them to help those causes that they care about. When I interviewed Bob Berg a few episodes ago, he said, we're giving them the opportunity to do something that's congruent with their values. And so that's really what Mm -hmm. this is about. We are connecting these causes and missions with the funding they need to fulfill those missions. And without it, they can't do the work because it takes a lot of money to make a big impact and to do these things that you're talking about. So we're it's up to us to be the connectors and to help them find those funding. And a lot of it, what you mentioned too about you're the doctor that took someone from another hospital. A lot of it is collaboration too with others. Like maybe you know of one hospital you're building a relationship with that has gotten grant funding, another nearby rural hospital that hasn't. Could you partner them up to help the smaller hospital build their credibility and partner with mm, one I that see. is well known? So sometimes collaborating instead of being afraid or feeling like oh, we're in competition, we can't do that. How about let's work together to make both of us better and to reach more funding and more people. And, you know, sometimes thinking creatively about that and again, building those relationships so that you have the power to leverage and connect and help bring those resources in. Right. That's a very good point. That's very interesting. Thank you. Right. Yes. Thank you so well, much, Teresa. You give me a lot of Excellent ideas. A lot of things I can work on and think about. Good. I love your heart and I love your vision for helping these communities. So I would love to hear what are your next two or three action steps that you're going to do within the next week? Within the next week. Um, So I will contact the organization in, in Ethiopia and kind of see where they're at. And um, I believe they, they may be, you know, changes happening. They may be actually hiring a person to work on their fundraising. Um, mm-hmm. So see, you know, where that stands. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have mentioned that they would be willing to share some of the documentation with me. So maybe like mm-hmm. ask uh, to, to receive that documentation so that I can start to see what it just what, what does it look like. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, and start understanding, you know, how they're maybe, you know, if there's budget information, start looking at that. So I think that that would be one. And then I think I just have so much more learning to do on my side that, you know, another thing I'm going to listen to more of your podcast and I'm going yeah. to more of your resources <laughs> on the website. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and there is a book that I'm reading also kind of like it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, basic grant writing um book so that's i i still feel like i'm i'm you know somewhat behind in my in my uh, uh, in the process so i still have a lot of learning to do yeah good keep learning at the same time keep taking action because really the two go hand in hand it's easy to get stuck in thinking we need to keep learning more and more and more and Mm. feeling busy when we're not actually getting anything done. So doing the two hand (laughs) in hand is critical. Learning at the same time, but then starting to practice it. Just like if you were to read a book about riding a bike, 
yeah, you could read all day and you'd know all about riding bikes. But until you get on a bike and try to balance and pedal and get going, you're not going to learn to ride and you're not going to build up stamina and muscles to be able to ride further and further distances. Right. That's a good point. I guess that I always had that that fear of the first time, you know, that like once yeah. I break that wall, then it's <laughs> we all have that. It's OK. And, you know, I can tell you just from my own experience, fear has a way of clouding everything. So if you could remove the fear and give yourself permission to just do it imperfectly and to be new at it, you're new at this one thing, but you're not new at everything. You've done a lot of writing, you've done HR work, you've worked with organizations, you've talked to nonprofits. So you're not new, you're just new at this one extra piece. And so you give yourself permission to be new and experiment and learn as you go. And I think once you get going, you're asking such good questions, you're really thinking this through. So I think it's probably gonna come pretty naturally for you. And it's okay to mess up and figure out and like when you're working a puzzle and you think it's going to fit and one piece doesn't quite fit. So you pull that out and adjust and try a different one. So that's what you're doing. You're just trying the puzzle pieces until they click into place and then keep going. Thank you. Thank you very much for the encouragement and for the wisdom. All right. Well, you've got this, my friend. Stay in touch and let me know how it's going. And if I can be of service in any other way, you know where to find me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I will do that. All right. What do you think? Could you see yourself in any of the questions or situations that Sylvia and I discussed? She was unsure how to approach some of these, yet she sees such a need and really wants to serve in this way. I love her heart for wanting to help these nonprofits. And at the same time, she's looking at it very practically and very realistically of are they ready? And we do have to analyze that. As the expert, we have to step back and have sometimes a more objective view than what they have of themselves. We have to analyze those different elements of their grant readiness, their situation, their operations, and help them see things aren't quite right in place, or you need, you're missing some of these key pieces before you're truly ready for grants, or yeah, let's go for it. We know it's a risk, but let's try it. So sometimes they need that objective perspective from us to be able to analyze and understand that when they don't know for themselves. I would love to hear your biggest takeaways from this conversation. You can email me on my website contact form or send me a message on LinkedIn and connect over there. I love hearing from you, your thoughts, your ideas that stem from these conversations. So please reach out and go watch my TEDx talk if you haven't. Share it with a friend. If you are on the fence and wondering about this grant writing stuff, could it really be for you? Go take my free quiz teresahuff.com slash quiz. And it's called, do you have what it takes to be a grant writer? So let's find out and let's get you moving. Just like I told Sylvia, I would really love for you to take action. So the things you heard today, if there was something that inspired you, how are you going to commit to take action on it within the next seven days? Not someday, not when I have time, not when certain things are in place and perfect, but within the next week. I want you to go take action. If you need accountability, shoot me a message and we will keep each other accountable. 
All right, friends, have a great week and go change your world.